is of leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. That'll make a Lutheran want to shout. Amen. Um, almost made a Baptist want to dance. Man, that last song, you don't see many dancing Baptists, but you about saw one that last song. That's good stuff. I love that. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And all of that was made possible by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating uh, the single greatest occurrence in the history of the universe. The single greatest occurrence in the history of all mankind is the culmination of the redemptive plan of God. And all of that happened through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? And so when we come in here on Easter, it ought to be just that. It ought to be a celebration of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Man, what a blessing that truly is uh, this morning. So thankful uh, for who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we're going to look this morning at verse number 18. Today is Easter, and we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, but how many know there would be no Easter if there were no Good Friday? There would be no Easter, there'd be no resurrection without the cross. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching to you on the power of the cross. I'm going to read to you one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, and then I'm going to give you three uh, points very quickly, and I'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, watch this now, it is the power of God. So what's the Apostle Paul saying here to the church at Corinth? He says that when we preach the cross to those who are perishing, it is foolishness. So we've got to identify those who are perishing. Those who are perishing, according to the Word of God, are those who stand in rejection of Jesus as Savior. Let me tell you what the word perishing means. To perish means to be eternally separated from a God who loves you. And so what the Bible is saying here is those who stand in rejection of Jesus as Savior is in the perishing stage. They're on their way to being eternally separated from a God who loved them. Those who walk in unbelief. Those who reject Jesus as as Savior. They see the preaching of the cross as foolishness. But he says unto us who are saved, listen, it is the power of God unto salvation. If you believe God's word this morning, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this service already. How good you are. Lord, I'm just praying right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move me out of the way and you would use me this morning as your mouthpiece to speak truth to these people. I can't change hearts and change lives. I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth. So I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, to impart this truth to the hearer. And Lord, fill me up and pour me out as I preach. Have your way. Have your will in these services. And for these things, we're going to praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray. And for your sake, amen. Now then, there's three things that I want you to see about the power of the cross. First of all, you must see the person on the cross. Now folks, if we know that Jesus died and we know that there was a cross and we know all the ins and outs of what happened when he suffered and died for our sins, but we don't understand who it was that did die for us, then it means nothing. So we must take a good long look at the person on the cross. And there's two things this morning that I want you to know concerning the person on the cross. First of all, you need to know that he is the Son of God. If you believe it, say amen. Now, as we look through the Word of God, there are four testimonies unto Jesus being the Son of God. 
Four of them. First of all, Jesus himself said he was the son of God. He told Nicodemus in John chapter number 3 and verse number 16. You remember that familiar passage of scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus when he said that. We also know that while he was speaking to Nicodemus, he was speaking about himself. What he's saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you have saw the Son of God. I'm him. You must believe on me so that you might have eternal life. So Jesus made the claim, John 3, 16, to Nicodemus that he himself was the Son of God. He also made it before the Pharisees. You know the Pharisees, don't you? That's the most strict religious sect among the Jews at that time. Nicodemus was actually a part of them. But Jesus spoke to the Pharisees as a whole in John chapter number 8. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and turn with me to John chapter 8. Let's see what Jesus said. John chapter number 8. We're going to look at two or three verses right there very quickly. Starting in verse number 42. The Jews here, the Pharisees, were having a debate with the Lord Jesus on who his father was and who their father was. And it's a lively debate to say the least. Verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So what's the claim Jesus is making here? That he is the son of God. If you believe it, say amen. That's what he says. But then he says to the Pharisees, he says, Why do you not understand my speech, even because you do not hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So according to what Jesus says, right here in John chapter 8, there's two families with two fathers. See, I, I don't hold to the doctrine of universalism. The doctrine of universalism is this, is that all of us are God's children. Now listen to me, folks. We all, as human beings, by the power of God, have been created in His image. By His power. But that don't mean you're a part of His family. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the Pharisees had a father that was the devil and he had a father which was his father in heaven, God the Father. So there were two families with two fathers. And they kept saying to him, well, look, well, we're Abraham's children. I mean, Abraham was the father of the faith. Let me say something to you folks. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care who your grandpa is. I don't care who your aunt and uncle is. If you hadn't trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, that don't make you a part of the family of God. So you must trust personally in Jesus. It's not about what someone else did. Nobody is grandfathered into the Christian faith. You have to make the decision yourself to trust in the finished work of Christ at the cross. The Holy Spirit must deal with your heart, making you realize you are a sinner, standing in need of a Savior. And then what you do is fall down hopeless and helpless at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you will do that, you can be born again into God's family. Amen. And God can become your father through a personal relationship with Jesus. But according to what Christ says, there's two families with two fathers. Now I know it makes you feel good. It gives you all the warm and fuzzies and makes you want to sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya to say that God is our father. But let me tell you something, folks. J. Vernon McGee said it best. When you boil it down to the lowest common denominator in the world, there's two types of people. Either you're saint or you ain't. 
Either you've been born again by the power of God or you have not. But if you have not, I've got great news for you this morning. Jesus is still in the saving business. The same one who has saved me can and will save you. You say, well, brothers, you don't know where I've been, what I've done. You don't know all of my past. Folks, I've got a past too, and I can promise you, if Christ can save me, He can save you. If He can save me, He can save anybody. So... God's grace is available to everyone who will receive it. Jesus made the claim to Nicodemus that he was the son of God. Jesus made the claim to the Pharisees that he was the son of God. He also made the claim to his disciples that he was the son of God. One place in particular is John 14, verse number 23. John 14, 23, Jesus says to his disciples, he says it many times that he's the son of God to them, but this one I love. He said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So here in John 14 and uh, verse number 23, he makes a claim to his disciples that he is the Son of God, that God is his Father. So could we agree scripturally this morning that Jesus testified to being the Son of God? If you believe that, say amen. That's one testimony. Let me give you another one. Not only did the, what Jesus his own, out of his own mouth testify to being the Son of God, but how many know his works proved that he was the Son of God? As a matter of fact, in John chapter number 10, let's flip back over there for just a moment. John chapter 10, he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees again, those who always gave him the most trouble. And in verse number 37, he says something. He says, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works. So what's Jesus saying? He said, you seeing the stuff I'm doing. You don't uh, uh, believe the testimony that I'm testifying to, that I'm the Son of God. But if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works. Now what were the works? Well, Jesus was doing stuff no one's ever done before or no one's done since. He was causing blinded eyes to see. Can you say amen to that? He was causing deaf ears to hear. Can you say amen to that? He was walking on water. He was raising up dead people. Folks, listen to me. Jesus never went to a funeral. He didn't mess up. <laughs> Every funeral he went to, he messed up. He raised up Lazarus after being dead four days. He raised up the widow of Nain's son after being dead a few hours. And he raised up Jairus' daughter after being dead a few moments. I'm telling you something. Jesus is able to raise up dead people. So he says to the scribe and the Pharisee, if you won't believe me because of what I'm saying, believe me because of what I'm doing. He's walking on water. Any of you ever walked on water? If you don't believe how big of a miracle that is, go, go home this evening and go, go, to, go to a fish pond or get in your bathtub and try to walk on that water you put in there. Not, not, not just anybody can do that. The point Jesus is making is this. If you won't believe me because of what I'm saying, believe me because of what I'm doing. For the work's sake. So Jesus himself testified to being the Son of God. The works testified to the fact. Can I say something else on this one I love? God the Father testified to Jesus being the Son of God. Three times. Verbally from heaven, God said it. Matthew chapter number four, you remember that? Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says that as soon as Jesus came up out of the water after having been baptized, there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You remember then on over in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Him and James and John and Peter are there. And the Bible says during that time, God again spoke from heaven so that everybody on the mountain could hear that Jesus is my beloved son. 
in whom I am well pleased. John chapter 12, it happens again right before Christ goes to the cross. Verses 27 through 30. Let's go over there and look at that. We're close to it. Look at John chapter 12, starting in verse number 27. Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What hour is he talking about? He's now set his eyes like a flint to the cross. He's on his way to Calvary. He said, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. How many know Jesus was born so that he might die? His purpose for coming as a babe in a manger was to die as a Savior on a cross. He says it was for this hour that I was born. Verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now look at verse 29. The people therefore that stood by and heard it. That means everybody standing around there that day heard this voice from heaven testifying to Jesus being the Son of God. Now, did Jesus heard it? Sure, but everybody else heard it. So three times in Scripture, God the Father testifies to Christ being exactly who He says He is. Isn't that amazing? Jesus testified to it. The works testified to it. God the Father testified to it. Let me give you another one. How many know the Old Testament prophets testified to it? That Jesus was the Son of God. Do you realize that there were over 300 separate prophecies that were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus when he came the first time as a baby in a manger. And as he walked out his earthly ministry for 33 and a half years. 300 separate prophecies. Some really big things were prophesied, some not so big things, but all of them were significant. Let me give you just a few of them. How many know that God through his prophets prophesied what race Jesus would be a part of, the human race? Now how do you know this morning there's only really one race of people? It's the human race, according to Acts 17, 26. One blood, one race, one people that God has created. He, he, uh, the Bible prophesied Jesus would be a part of the human race. The Bible also prophesied thousands of years before Christ ever came on the scene what division of the human race he would be born into, the Jewish uh, people. It also prophesied what tribe of the Jews that he would be born into, the tribe of Judah. It also prophesied what family of that tribe of Judah he would be born into, the house of David. It also prophesied where he would be born in Bethlehem how he would be born by the virgin birth he would die wounded and bruised for our transgressions it prophesied about that the cross in Isaiah 53 also in Psalm 21 and Psalm 22 it even prophesied that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver all of this stuff was prophesied by, about Jesus again thousands of years before he ever comes so that when he did come everybody would know that's the one that God has sent amen Now, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Ben Stein. Ben Stein is a very smart man. And he done the mathematics on the probability of one man just fulfilling six prophecies. Just fulfilling six. And he said the probability would be one to seven to the tenth power. That's a big number. To explain to you just how big that number is, he gave an example. He said it would be like this. He said, let's just say that um, you started taking dump truck load full of quarters down to Texas. Have any of you ever been to Texas? Raise your hand if you've been to Texas. I've been to Texas. Let me tell you what happened to me. I was riding on a Greyhound bus uh, going to Arizona, and we went through Texas. At about 1030 at night, we entered into Texas from Louisiana. 
I went to sleep on that bus and woke up at 9 o'clock the next morning. Slept all night. When I woke up at 9 o'clock, we were still in Texas. And we'd been riding all night long. My point is, Texas is a big place. I mean a really big place. So Ben Stein said this. He said, let's imagine you take dump truck loads full of quarters and you start hauling them to Texas. And you dump those quarters six foot deep all over the square uh, miles, the, the area in Texas. Dump them up six foot deep. He said, and then you take one quarter and you mark it with paint or a marker or however you want to distinguish it and you flip that quarter out in the middle of it and then you start taking dump truck or excuse me bulldozers and pushing up all those quarters and mixing all of them up so it'll be hard to find that one that you just flipped out and he said then you tell the bulldozers to stop somebody blindfolds you spins you in a circle about 10 times points you back in the direction of the quarters and you go out there and pick up that one you marked blindfolded he said that's the probability of one man Fulfilling six prophecies. Jesus fulfilled 300. All of those times that you see in the New Testament in the Gospels where the Lord says this is done for the fulfillment of Scripture, that's what he's talking about. I'm doing this that Scripture might be fulfilled over and over and over again. He's telling us who he is not just by his testimony, not just by the testimony of the works, not just by the testimony of the Father, but by the testimony of Old Testament prophets that prophesied thousands of years before he ever came. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like God has taken the telescope of prophecy. Amen. You ever look through a telescope or a microscope? You ever saw that? I've got a telescope right here. I don't even know who this is. I'm going to use it for just a second. I don't even know how this got here. But I thought I could use it, so I'm going to use it. I don't even know how to use it. Now, I'm looking into the back of this church. It's kind of fuzzy right now. But let me tell you what I do. If I start focusing it, turn a little bit here and a little bit there. There you are, Caleb. I see you, buddy. Caleb, I can see you so good. I see what you ate for breakfast, my brother. But it took a little bit of focus. Now what did God do through the prophetic scriptures? He took that telescope of prophecy and he focused it in right on one man. There's only one man that fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies. Jesus, the Son of God. That's the person on the cross. But now listen, not only is he the Son of God, he's also God the Son. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, John chapter 1, verse number 1, the, the, John says it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him. So who's the Word? Jesus is the Word that John is referring to. And he's saying that He was God, He is God, He's always been God, and wasn't nothing made that was made unless it was made by Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15 says that Christ holds the preeminence, that everything was created by Him, and everything was created for Him. If you believe it, say amen today. He's also God the Son. God went to a cross and died for you. Wow. It's amazing. This glorious gospel is just that. It is glorious to think about who it was on the cross. 
How do I know it was God the Son? Because we have eyewitness testimony in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tells us all about who it was. You see, it tells us of the authority that he had. Mark chapter 4, it shows us that Jesus had authority over all creation. Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4. You remember the story? There was a great storm that came upon them there in the boat. The disciples got fearful for their own life. They started crying out saying, Lord, we're about to die. What did Jesus say? He woke up from being asleep on a pillow stood up and said oh ye of little faith peace be still and just like that that waves that were crashing into the boat and the lightning that was crashing the thunder that was rolling the wind that was blowing it ceased and it became just as tranquil as your farm pond let me tell you how that's possible Jesus has authority over all creation see if he made the winds and he made the waves and he made the lightning and the thunder he could stop all of it at his command Amen. He had authority over all creation. Mark chapter 10 says he had authority over disease and physical ailments. He healed a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember him? He's sitting by the roadside. He's blind. He can't see. He starts calling out for Jesus because he's heard that Jesus is passing by. Jesus stops and says, Wilt thou be made whole? Which I think was kind of a silly question. Blind Bartimaeus said, Yes, sir. That's exactly what I want. And Jesus healed that brother that day. Why? Because he has authority over all physical disease. Amen. Mark chapter 5 verse 1. Jesus cast thousands of demons out of a man that was in the country of the Gadarenes who was living in the tombs. You remember that guy? I preached about him about a month ago. He had a legion of demons within him, which means thousands of demons. He was running around naked out in the tombs, out in the graveyard. Men were trying to, uh, trying to hold him with chains, and he was cutting himself with stones. He kept breaking the chains and doing his own thing. But when Jesus walked on the scene, that man ran up and fell down at his feet. Why? Because Jesus has authority over all demonic forces. How do I know that he's God the Son? Because folks, listen to me. He has authority over creation. He has authority over physical ailments and disease. He has authority over demonic spirits. He has authority over death. John chapter 11, he spoke to Lazarus who had been dead four days in the grave. And what happened? The Bible says Lazarus came forth. John chapter 20, Jesus came forth from the grave himself. That is proof that he is God. What separates Jesus from every other religious leader in this world? I don't even like calling the Lord a religious leader. Because how many of you know he didn't lead a religion? And how many of you understand Christianity is not a religion? A religion is a set of rules and regulations that men try to keep to make themselves right with God through their own self-righteous works. That's not at all what Christianity is all about. Christianity is a relationship with God the Son that makes you reconciled to God the Father, thereby giving you power to do what God has told you to do in His Word. It's a relationship. Amen? But just for the sake of argument, what separates Jesus from Muhammad? I can take you to the grave of Muhammad, the prophet of the religion of Islam, and I can show you where he's buried. What separates Jesus from Buddha? I can take you to the remains of where Buddha was cremated in India today and show you where his remains are. What separates Jesus? Folks, the tomb is empty. Only God can defeat death. Amen. <laughs> The resurrection is proof that Jesus is God.
He's the Son of God, but He's God the Son. Everything surrounding the crucifixion is proof that Jesus is God. You don't believe me? Go back and read in Matthew chapter 27. You're going to find that in Matthew chapter 27, the moment that Jesus yielded up the ghost, gave up the ghost, the Bible says there was an earthquake that struck. People got up in the city of Jerusalem out of the tombs and walked around. You're going to see that, listen, when Jesus was crucified for a span of three hours, the sun refused to shine. Now, there had been thousands of crucifixions that the Romans did before Jesus and after Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. The only one that is marked by an earthquake and the sun refusing to shine is when God the Son and the Son of God hung on a cross between God and man. Are you seeing what I'm saying? All of this is eyewitness accounts historically backed up. Not just by the Bible, but by extra biblical accounts of historians who say Jesus rose again. He's the Son of God, and He's God the Son. That's the person on the cross. Let me give you one more very quickly. Listen to me. Not only I want you to see the Son of God that's on the cross, or the person on the cross, I also want you to see the propitiation through the cross. Now, the word propitiation is just a fancy word that means the suitable, acceptable sacrifice. Now then, take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 John chapter number 2. Let me share with you a verse there. 1 John chapter 2. And look down at verse number 2. Let's just start with the first verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Brothers, can you give that to me, please? My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now watch this. And he is the propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And what's this mean? Jesus was the propitiation or the suitable and acceptable sacrifice so that our sin debt might be paid for. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I can't die for sin. And brother, you can't die for sin. And you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, none of us can. Let me tell you why none of us can die for sin. None of us can be the acceptable, suitable sacrifice. I'll tell you why. Because we were born into sin. We came here sinners, standing in need of a Savior. Now, folks, i got to be honest. I struggled with that for a long time until I had children. When I had children, then I began to see that we are all born into sin. The first time I held those babies in my arm, man, I thought they were the sweetest little things that God's ever put on this earth. And I was right. They were the sweetest little things. I thought they were little bitty angels, and they were to me. I loved them, and I still love them with all my heart. But let me tell you what happened. As the years go, grew longer, and, and listen, as their legs grew longer, their angel, angel wings got shorter. Can you say amen? And I found out real quick. I didn't have to teach them how to lie. They came here knowing how to do that. I didn't have to teach them how to be disrespectful to me and their mama. They came here knowing how to do that. I'm telling you something. I've got two girls that are just like their mama, praise God. <laughs> Stubborn as a mule. They just like their mama. And I found out real quick. We are all born into sin. You don't have to do one thing. To be a sinner. You came here a sinner. Now we have sinned in added in action as well. We've all done things we shouldn't do. God says there's a lot of stuff we should do, a lot of stuff we shouldn't do. God said we should not lie, we should not steal, we should do all those things. But guess what? We've all told a lie. 
We've all taken something that didn't belong to us. Whether it be a penance at the bank teller or it be a, a cheating on your taxes. Let me tell you what I'd done when I was a little boy. Mom and daddy bought us uh, some um, four-wheelers for Christmas one year. And my mother drove a school bus. And so we were riding up in four-wheelers just all we could ride them every day wearing them things out. And we come up with the idea we could get gas easier. But we didn't have to ask mom and daddy if we would start using the gas that was readily available to us in the school bus that was parked in the yard. And I, I'll tell you something, I got, I got real, real uh, good at it. I got to where I didn't even have to use a jug to siphon the gas out of the tank into a jug. I could just pull my wheeler right up next to the gas tank and siphon right out of the tank right into my wheeler. I was riding everywhere. Everybody was riding. Matter of fact, we didn't get in trouble until the other neighborhood kids found out what was going on and they wanted in on it. And so we'd fill up our four-wheelers, then before long they came in and we'd fill up their four-wheelers. And after a while, guess what? We had, we had to all pay back the gas that we had stole. Not only with money, but also hide from our rear end. <laughs> I'm just saying, all of us have probably taken things that maybe didn't belong to us, whatever it might have been. Let me tell you what that makes you, a thief. You've broken God's law and you've lied. Let me tell you what that makes you. That makes you a liar. And the truth is we're all a bunch of liars and thieves. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, you, and everybody else. That makes us separated from a holy God who loves us. So the only way that God could pay for sin is not through sinful people dying for it. That wouldn't be acceptable to a holy God. Listen, it had to be the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Back in Exodus chapter 12, you remember the story? The nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. And what happened? God told Moses to go and deliver him and when he went Pharaoh kept lying said I'll deliver him in the morning but he never would so God began sending plagues he sent ten of them as a matter of fact he sent plagues of frogs and plagues of lice and plagues of blood and plagues of boils and plagues of this plagues of darkness all kind of different plagues and then in Exodus chapter 12 what did the Bible tell us the Bible told us he said to Moses Moses get the people ready because I'm about to bring you out and I'm going to bring you out of the bondage through the blood he said I want every home in the nation of Israel to kill a lamb and when you kill that lamb you take the blood of the lamb and you apply it to the door post of the house the left side the top and the right side which I believe speaks to the Father Son and the Holy Spirit praise God that's a different message for a different day but I just had to throw that in there so we applied the blood to every house and then that night the destroyer came the destroyer angel came to Egypt and every house that was not marked by the blood death entered in but the Bible says if I see the blood I'll pass over you and death will not enter Now you fast forward to the book of John. John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking him and his disciples and he says this. Behold. Look. There he is. The Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the perfect holy Lamb of God that became the acceptable, suitable sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. He was who he was, brothers and sisters, so that he might do what he did. I couldn't do it, you couldn't do it. Jesus did it. Amen? How many know the price has been paid? I'm going to say it again, the price has been paid. I'm going to say it one more time, the price has been paid. 
Nothing else has to be done. The price has been paid. Jesus paid the price for my sin and your sin at the cross. See the person on the cross. See the propitiation through the cross. Let me give you another one. See the purpose of the cross. Guess what? I see it. I see it. I see the purpose of the cross. It's you. You see it too. It's me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and 8, I love this verse. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I told you before, when I became a father, I gained understanding on things I'd never understood before. And being a father helps me to understand the love of God more than anything else. I still don't understand it completely, but I understand it more than I used to. When I see Romans 5 and 8, that tells me that God loved me so much that he put his son through the torture of the cross for me. Not because I was good enough while, I, while we were yet sinners. While I was still in my sin. Parents, does that speak to your heart? Because it does to me. I'm going to tell you something. I, I love you folks. Some of you I don't even know, but I'm going to tell you I love you in Jesus. But there's also people that I hear that I know very well, brothers and sisters in Christ, that mean the world to me. I've got a strong relationship with. I'm thankful for your friendship and your relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love you. But I'm going to be just as transparent and honest as I know how to be. There is no way, no way, I would put my son or my two daughters on a cross to take the punishment for your sin. I couldn't do it. But that's what God did for you. Because that was the only way you could be saved. That's the purpose of the cross. All of the shame and guilt for sin was put upon Jesus and he died in our place. So the truth is, if anybody in here goes to hell, anybody that goes to hell goes to hell unsaved, but they'll never go to hell unloved. Because the scripture says, Hebrews 2 and 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. He took the punishment for your sin so you wouldn't have to be punished for it. Now, if you choose to reject the finished work of Christ, your sins will have to be punished, and that's what hell is all about. He died so that you could have life and have life more abundant. Isn't God good? This is the gospel message. This is the good news. Now, my, the purpose of this message is twofold. First of all, it's for Christians, I hope it encourages you. Hope it lights your fire. 
Hope it gets you fired up about serving the God who loves you so much. But for the lost person, I hope this morning that it convicts you. And it lets you know that Jesus has done everything necessary. And the only way you can truly be born again is by trusting in Him by grace through faith. And if you need to do that today, you can. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me, please. Brother Scotty, come with a song of invitation. If you need the Lord in any way this morning, I cannot think of a better day to get things right with the Lord than on Easter Sunday. You want to really experience freedom that is in Christ, freedom from the bondage of sin that you're in? I know about that. Folks, the cares, troubles, addictions of this life had a stronghold and a stranglehold on me that I could not break. It was ruining my life and everybody's life around me. Listen, nobody want to be around me that I love dearly and nobody I love dearly, I didn't want to be around them. All because of the decisions and choices that I'd made. I was in bondage. I was helpless and hopeless. I wanted to quit. I tried to quit. I tried to break the change that the world had on me. And I couldn't do it. But when I got serious with Jesus, I mean, when I really got serious with him, he got serious with me. And he changed my life forever. He changed me forever. And that's why I preach this message. Because I know it's real. And it's available for you. Whoever you are. So today, if today you need to be saved, you know that the Holy Spirit of God's made that real to you and He's drawing you this morning. Would you come? Now walk in this aisle, don't save you. Being in this church, don't save you. And I sure can't save you. But I can walk you down the road to salvation through the Word of God. I can show you what it means to trust in Christ. And today, He can do for you what you need done. If you need to be saved, you come. If you are saved and you just want to come and pray for a lost loved one, pray for a certain situation, whatever, these altars are always open. You need to join this church? Come join this church. You want to be baptized? Come let us know. We can handle all that. Whatever your need might be, whatever it is, this altar's open. Brother, play for us.